Welcome back to Podcast with Statsman and AJ, Rotowire's Fantasy Hockey Show, folks. I'm Paul Bruno coming to you back in Toronto after a couple of weeks in beautiful Scottsdale. And I actually got a round of golf in down there, so I'm feeling pretty good about my recent uh, couple of weeks there. And uh, you can follow me, as always, at Statsman22. My co-host, uh, as usual, is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in another hockey mad area. In the U.S., specifically Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. Good day, AJ. How are you? How are you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, we're, you know, sun is shining. Weather's looking up. So yeah, it should be a good couple of weeks. Hockey's back. That's the most important thing. All Star break is fun, but uh, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take uh, real games anytime. Exactly, and we're back to talk about that. But we have another treat for our listeners. We have a special guest joining us today, and. I've known him for a long time. He has a number of writing credits covering NHL hockey on his resume and is currently covering the day-to-day of the Buffalo Sabres, among other, a few other gigs, gigs that I'm going to let him talk about in a sec. And I've known him for about 20 years. I want to welcome Mike Ogello. And please, Mike, tell our listeners about the hockey work that helps you keep busy every day. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Um, well, I'm currently writing, covering the Buffalo Sabres for the Hockey News I cover the NHL and Major League Baseball for full press, uh, and my longest gig has been uh, for over 15 years a Maple Leaf uh, columnist for HockeyBuzz.com. So, um, yeah, you could say um, I, I don't have much free time. Thankfully, I don't have kids, Paul, so I, I have enough free time to spread myself around. Well, AJ's got a couple of youngsters that he's still having to look after. Mine, my two are a little older and have flown the coop, so we're all in different situations in our lives. But we're one thing in common is a love for this great game that they play on the ice. And uh, let's take a look, guys, at the weekend just passed. And Mike, I'll start with you. Your views on the All Star Game, the skills competition, and uh, the entire presentation in Toronto. What were your overall impressions? Well, as it compares to other all-star festivities since it was in Toronto and, you know, the history, obviously, of uh, the, the game in the, the GTA and uh, Southern Ontario, I think it was better than most. I, as I think most uh, reporters who cover the game, look forward to sort of the break because, you know, the day-to-day drudgery of covering covering teams – and really, you can tune out of the All-Star game and the festivities and, and not miss much. I think it's more for, obviously, the, ab- the advertisers and the, the corporate situation. But, you know, for young fans as well, when I was 13 years old or something like that, I remember Gordy Howe and Wayne Gretzky playing at Joe Louis Arena. And, you know, I, I was into the All-Star game at that point. But, you know, the game wasn't at the point where you see, like, every team – on ESPN Plus or Sportsnet or TSN in Canada, um, so you didn't get a chance to see Gretzky all the time. So now that you get a chance to see the players that you want to see all the time, I think it's really an event that has lost its luster. I mean, you look at the NFL with the Pro Bowl and how they've turned it into the Pro Bowl flag football game, and that's a joke. But I understand it because nobody watched the Pro Bowl anymore. It was a, it was, it was flag football. Nobody wanted to hit anybody after a sixteen or seventeen game season. So, would I be crushed if the NHL went to the 
skills competition and nothing else? No, but it's not for me. So I just say, okay, I'll, I'll look past the four or five days and then look forward to the beginning, the restart of the regular season, which we're now into. AJ, your thoughts, uh, are you agreeing with Mike and uh, otherwise? Uh, I mean, I, I actually kind of enjoy the format. Um, you know, again, am I going to begrudge somebody who, you know, is like, look, I'm out. Like, I don't want to play in this, you know, whatever. That's totally fine. Um, I think you have enough guys who are willing to do it. Uh, you know, it's it's not an every year thing uh, just because we do miss it uh, for Olympic years. Uh, so I, I don't mind it. I like the three on three format. It seems like guys are a little more competitive on it um, than than say, for example, Mike brought up the, the NFL. I mean, that's not a competitive <laughs> contest at all. Um, so I don't mind it. But again, I'm not like so invested like, oh, if we didn't have an all star game, this is the end of the world. Um, you know, one, one thing that came up, you know, Sidney Crosby didn't, uh, didn't go to the, the draft night and some media folks were out there were hitting him on that. And like, that's just dumb. I mean, he showed up for the game. He was there for the skills competition. The guy's been the face of the league or one of the faces of the league for 18, 19 years, whatever it is now. Like if he wants to show up a day later than the stupid draft night thing, like, come on, really? Like, give it a break. Well, guys, uh, the skills competition did it for me. I really enjoyed watching these guys compete. And with the, something on the line, you could see that most of the guys were giving giving it their all, with maybe the exception of Nikita Kucherov, who yeah. I guess he flies to the beat of his own drum, fellas. That's, <laughs> that's what it comes down to there. And well, Paul, Paul, I'll just say, I'll just say this. Uh, I give Sidney Crosby more credit than Alex Ovechkin, who bailed out before the All-Star game saying, you know, he needed to rest up since he hasn't rested up all year since he only has eight goals. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but at least Crosby participated in the game and in the festivities after the, the meaningless draft. Um, Kucherov is an embarrassment for what he did, and he was rightfully booed, and I hope he gets booed every time he plays in Toronto from now until the end of his career because that was an absolute embarrassment, and I, I honestly think he should be fined by the NHL for being a complete jerk. Well, uh, you can certainly make that case, uh, Mike, and, and I'm in the similar camp with you, as you. I, I don't like this mail-it-in effort. And actually, when it comes to the mini games that uh, started the actual – all-Star Saturday, I thought they were going at half speed in the first couple of games, but at least the third game had some sense of competitive fire from the clubs. Uh, you could see they amped it up, and uh, and it was a pretty good show. In, in, in terms of the actual game itself, I thought in, in game three, the final, and of course the home team, uh, the Toronto team, uh, I'll say, won it all so that the was maple leafs won it all don't don't sugarcoat it paul that was maybe. basically the maple leaf team <laughs> yeah but, but as david pasternak said well they they need to win one but, but like when it you know basically was saying underneath his breath when it counts you can't yeah, <laughs> exactly and we'll, and we'll get to that later <laughs> for sure and fellas maybe the best news out of all of this weekend's festivities was the fact that the nhl is going to arrange for a four-team world tourney again and uh i'm also a little bit concerned that it, it's not more than four teams but i'll take it in terms of the first best on best hockey that we will be seeing in quite some time are you guys looking forward to that at all mike um well let's just say i'm looking forward to not having an all-star game 
Uh, that's one thing. <laughs> but I did criticize the, you know, and I, I think that the NHL was a little short-sighted in what they, what they said uh, at the press conference. Um, I thought was a bit disingenuous. They were saying, well, you know, we didn't have time to um, organize a full, you know, I don't know if they meant eight game or, or eight team tournament, but let's just say this. They could have made it, made it bigger than the four teams, than U.S., Canada, Finland, and Sweden. Now, obviously, the Russians, you know, they're not going to let the Russians in because of the, the war in Ukraine and the IIHF ban, but you could have had a Team Europe. You could have had a team North America. You could have, you know, had two team Europe's instead of just, you know, say you don't want to do the team North America and steal the young players away from those four teams. Okay. So then you could have, say, the Czechs and the Slovaks and then the Germans and the Swiss and the Danes and every you could you could have done that, but they chose not to because maybe individually Czechia or Slovakia wouldn't have been strong enough to compete with the other teams. And maybe they figured that, you know, it's only a nine day window. I think it was, and they couldn't fit more games. I, okay, fine. Uh, they're going to, they're going to get the world cup going in 2028 in between the Olympic games that they're going back to. Um, is it better than the all-star game? Sure. Is it the best? No. Yeah, AJ, I'm in the same camp, but I'll let you talk before I finish off on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. I, I'm happy to have it. I'm going to look forward to it. I'm going to watch all of it. Um, you know, I, I get, uh, you know, David Pasternak made a comment about the fact that uh, he was bummed that he wouldn't be able to play in it. That's one of the top scorers in the league that, that won't be in the, the competition. Um, you've got, I, I get the other concerns with it, but you're going to have Alexander Ovechkin not playing in it. Um, you know, one of the top scorers of all time. So, I mean, you're, you're missing some definite pieces. Um, you know, I'm not sure that there's an answer to get like Ovechkin and those guys back, but I don't know. Do you do like Western Europe and Eastern Europe and just call it that and let some of the Russian guys play on like an Eastern European team? I, I don't know. Um, it's a tricky question, but I'm glad to have it instead of nothing. Yeah. I think better than nothing is, is my position on it. Finally get to see, Matthews and, and McDavid playing for their respective countries and a lot of other stars on both sides of the uh, Canada-U.S. border. That should be a compelling matchup when those two teams won't get it together. And there's no anima no love loss between Finland and Sweden. So uh, there is going to be something on the line in those games. And like I say, maybe it's a, it's a starting point in the right direction, guys. And let's be happy about that. Uh, fellas, there were some trades uh, last week well in advance of the trade deadline i want to your thoughts on on the two deals of no there were three i'm going to let aj wax poetic on the kuliarvi signing which is a <laughs> massive deal in, for pittsburgh fans i guess but but uh, the first one i want to talk about El elias lindholm going to vancouver and the package that uh, calgary uh, gets is quite considerable i think they got andre kuzmenko who has been a pretty good score a top six player at times for in his time with vancouver and then they got uh prospect Hunter Brustowitz. He was a third rounder in 2023. Currently, this defenseman has 69 points in 47 games for Kitchener in the OHL. Yanni Yermo, a third round pick in 2020 defenseman, 34 games played, not much in the scoring department, but he's a big rangy guy apparently. And a 2024 first round pick, a conditional 2024 fourth round pick, and that condition becomes a third rounder if Vancouver makes it to the conference finals. 
if the pick remains a fourth, Calgary will receive the better of the two picks that Cal Vancouver currently owns between Vancouver and New Jersey. So that's my uh, outline of the deal. Mike, what do you think Vancouver is getting in Elias Lindholm? And I find it interesting that they've got him ticketed to play wing on the first line for tonight's action. Yeah, um, it, it, it's. I think it's a, a pretty good deal for uh, the Canucks. I mean, they paid a fairly high price, uh, as you just laid out. But really, they last year when they traded Bo Horvat, um, they traded a two-way center um, who they really didn't want to commit long-term to because they had signed J.T. Miller. In in this deal, they essentially get the same type of player that they traded in Horvat. And, you know, now they're in a different place where, you know, last year they were a rebuilding team and this year they're a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. So from that perspective, um, it, it makes sense. Their their first round pick is going to be at the end of the first round, even if they don't uh, do well in the playoffs. Uh, Bruskevich, um is a talented defenseman, as you said, drafted in the third round this year, but he does have some flies to him. He, he has some skating issues that they'll have to work with uh, and work through. Um, so, you know, Calgary, um, you know, can can work with that. And maybe in a couple years, he's ready to play in the NHL. Kuzmenko was a salary dump. He was, uh, Tockett had that soured on him. Um, they had been trying to trade him for a couple months. Um, his salary was actually more than Lindholm. So um, it balances out um, the, the salary uh, uh, situation with them, which is similar to, you know, what happened when they traded Zadorov. They had moved out uh, a player to Chicago and Beauvillier. And so they, they didn't take a cap at they're They're right up against the cap. So I think it's a beneficial deal for the Canucks, but I still am skeptical about whether they can make a deep playoff run with teams like Colorado, Dallas, and Vegas. And I'm and I'm not counting Edmonton because I think they're they're a uh, what is it a wolf in sheep's clothing? The exact exact opposite. They're a sheep in wolf's clothing. So <laughs> um, you know I, I I'm not sold on them. I think they're going to be a one and done in the playoffs. I'm in the I'm in the minority there because they've won 16 games in a row, but. Vancouver has an outside chance, and they've definitely improved themselves up the middle uh, with the addition of Lindholm. AJ, your thoughts, buddy? Well, one thing that, that Mike said that stood out to me right away is, you know, they you know kind of go signal all in, right, on this year, uh, get in Lindholm. Uh, but, you know, at they're in the West. So if you evaluated this deal, if an Eastern Conference team made this exact same deal, it might look a little bit better from that standpoint um, because it's easy, it's going to be easier to get out of the East this year. So uh, that's that's certainly a good point. I hadn't really thought of. Uh, I like it for both sides. You know, the Vancouver gets out from under that Kuzmenko deal. Um, probably not the not the banner that Patrick Alvin waved when he signed that new extension with Vancouver. He probably like uh, forget about that deal. But uh, so the fact that you know they were able to dump that salary to get Lindholm in. Uh, sets them up well. You know, Lindholm didn't sign an extension right away, so they'll have that space next year when the cap goes up to either try and make a run at Lindholm if, if it works out or, or go other options with, with other needs there. I like Calgary's return here. I think it's it's fairly decent uh, in, in what they got for a guy that, you know, wasn't going to probably stick around long term. So I, I think it's a win on both sides here. Hey, and, Paul, let me just add one thing. Yeah. The the, the the main uh, aspect of this deal was when it was made. 
they set the market uh, and and got the, the you know the number one guy on the TSN trade list or whatever trade list yep. you you reference in Lindholm, and they got them they got them in late. January or early February, a full month before the trade deadline. And the next deal that we're going to talk about, so the top two centers on the center trade market, and there were probably five contending teams that were looking for a number two center, and now two of them are off the board, and really there are not many good second-line centers that these other three teams are going to be fighting over. So either they're going to have to go outside the box and trade for somebody who's got term left on their deal. Um, but Vancouver set the market by getting Lindholm early. And Mike, uh, you know me, I'm a staunch Leaf fan. And uh, yeah. talking about the Montreal Canadiens in glowing terms is not something I've done in the nine-year history of this show. But when yeah. I set up this next deal, I've got to tell you, the Canadiens brass did a master, showed a master class in terms of managing uh, the Sean Monaghan situation from the time they acquired him for, for receiving a first round pick for taking on his large salary at the time. They re-signed him for a year and they managed to deal him away and get another first round draft pick. So mm -hmm. uh, this is a guy who is not on anybody's list to make Team Canada or Team USA anytime soon. And yet he's been worth two first round picks to the Montreal Canadiens coming and going. And uh, Winnipeg was willing to pay that price and more. They actually threw in a third round pick that's conditional. Montreal will receive uh, Winnipeg's third rounder if they win the Jets win the cup. And uh, I think the Canadians did a great job here. I, I, I think it's an example for other teams to follow when they're taking on salary to try and rehab a player and see if they can get even more out of him. Yeah, they did a fantastic job, uh, uh, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon. Um, I mean, they were in a unique position where they could use and weaponize cap space. They took Monahan's deal. And remember, Monahan had injury problems when he was with Calgary. They they dumped his contract. They they had to pay the price of a first round pick. He sort of got healthy in Montreal. He's played pretty well this year. He's in the low 30s in points. I'm not sure if he's a great fit as a second line center. He might be a better third line center, but you know, with the talent that Winnipeg has on the wings with wing with guys like Ehlers and Connor and Niederreiter, you know, they can accept him as a second line center. He's big, he's experienced. He's, I think, 29 years old. He was having a pretty good year and has had a last couple of years has sort of had a reclamation of, of his career. Um, again, Winnipeg saw that Lindholm was off the board, decided we've got to get our center now before they, you know, continue to fall off the board. They paid the price. And now they're one up on teams like Dallas and Colorado in terms of, um, you know, adding that piece that they need. So I, I think, you know, they, they were willing to pay the price. I think they have a puncher's chance of coming out of the West. They're a really good team. But Montreal played this perfectly. And, you know, we've seen Montreal. They're a few years away from being a playoff team. The only time they ever play good is when they play Toronto. <laughs> so, um, you know, but they're assembling young talent, and this was a good move for them. All right, fellas, we're going to take a look at uh, the Pittsburgh acquisition of Jesse Pugliarvi through AJ's eyes next. Uh, AJ, a two-year deal at a league minimum. Do you like this move? I mean, he had a nice uh, start to his season in the AHL, and maybe that's what clinched it for Pittsburgh. But we've seen Pugliarvi fail in previous opportunities, playing with some of the best players in the world. 
what do you think you're getting here with with the Pens' latest acquisition? I think we're getting third line depth uh, that that maybe works out to something more than that. Unlikely, we haven't we haven't really seen that out of him. Uh, you have you know that one year, thirty six points in sixty five games, like that's still kind of depth scoring, maybe pushing if an injury. So I. I I don't mind it league minimum for, for a guy that has shown uh, some upside in the minors to start the season. I, I was admittedly surprised they gave him a second year, but again, with the cap ready to jump, you know, if it doesn't work, you bury him in the minors, his contract's not going to hurt you that hard, you know, that bad. Um, so I think it was worth it, especially for a team that's been struggling to find third line scoring. Um, you know, they've, they've dropped, Ricard Raquel to the third line because he's just not fit on the top six uh, and, and they needed some help. So why not take a shot at him? If it doesn't work, you've got other guys that you can, that you've tried earlier in the year. So why not? Mike, do you have a quick thought on that acquisition? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a typical no risk uh, move by Kyle Dubas where, you know, you're giving Pugliarvi you know, you're signing him for the rest of this year and next year. He becomes a UFA at the end of next season. So he gets to he gets to unrestricted free agency. So if he actually um, restarts his career and plays well over the next year and a half, then he can hit hit it big. Um, I think that was a motivation for Pugliarvi. I think that was a motivation for, for the Penguins where they're saying, okay, we're not going to pay you a high salary. We'll pay you a little bit above league minimum, but you're going to get an opportunity. You might, you know, if you play well, you could jump up into the top six because the, the, the Penguins are, are aging, but they still have a lot of talent. Um, but really it, it's a no risk move. Like AJ said, I mean, if it doesn't work, he goes plays in Scranton Wilkesburg. But you know, more more than likely, he'll be a bottom six forward. You know, the guy was a top five pick a few years ago. Um, I think there's a a requisite level of talent there. It's just I think injuries and really the situation in Edmonton really played against him. He didn't play particularly well in Carolina, but I do think he has one more shot to sort of bring about uh, something positive in his career. And I hope for him. I hope, I hope that he, he does because I think he's a talent. Fellas, we had another coach lose his job last week, this time a top echelon club that started the season on fire, the LA Kings, and they fired Todd McClellan, a veteran uh, bench boss around the league. And they replaced him with Jim Hiller, one of his assistants. It's uh, sent a, a large warning shot to the players on this team. I think that have really underperformed them talking primarily of Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's been a big-time flop over there uh, mm -hmm. this season. I thought this was going to be one of the best teams in terms of the depth at center on the, uh, in their roster. But Philip Deneau hasn't played as well as he had in recent years. Anze Kopitar is a year older, and Dubois is the head-scratcher of all for, for me, all three guys. Mike, uh, do you think this move is, is all we're going to see from the LA Kings? or And do you think it'll have the desired effect to shake this team up a little bit? Well, I think that early in the season they were doing it with mirrors, not because of the talent, but because of who was between the pipes. Um, they had Cam Talbot, who was terrible in Ottawa last year, and a veteran guy, but you know they brought him in as sort of a stopgap number one. And uh, Phoenix Copley, and you know, Copley's hurt now. Dave, former Leaf David Ridge is the backup, and actually he sort of took over as the number one uh, after or just before the All Star break because. Uh, Talbot was not playing well. Now, I think they need to 
solve their goaltending issue if they're going to stay in the playoff race. Um, they they piled up a bunch of points with I think eleven or twelve uh, uh, straight road victories at the beginning of the season. They're under five hundred at home, and it's tough to be a playoff team when you're under five hundred in your own barn. So um, McClellan took took the hit here. They you know they lost thirteen of their last fifteen games. You know they were double figures ahead of Edmonton uh, in the, for third place in, in the Pacific division. And now since Edmonton won 16 games in a row and they've lost 13 of 15, the Oilers have blown by them. Um, so, I mean, that's just the reality. I mean, I think McClellan is a good coach, but obviously they've tuned him out. And it's funny now, you know, Jim Hiller, the former Leaf assistant coach, hires DJ Smith, the former Leaf assistant coach. It's like, um, you know, if, if Cronin wasn't uh, uh, wasn't uh, what, the head coach in Anaheim, it's like I'm wondering if like, every Leaf assistant coach would be coaching in Los Angeles. You know, not not Mike Babcock because he's radioactive, but, um, <laughs> but so, but yeah, it just seems to be. It's I, I just thought that was funny. D, DJ Smith going to LA. AJ, thoughts on the on the move behind the bench there in LA. I appreciated that Rob Blake came out and basically said this was on me. Um, and if it doesn't work, uh, it's still on me that, you know, he clarified that there wasn't any pressure from above him necessarily to make the move, uh, that he made a call and, and now he's going to uh, live with the, the rewards or consequences from that. Uh, the other interesting thing is how, how quickly you see guys climbing up the list of longest tenured coaches. I think uh, at this point, Sheldon Keefe, who has been on and off the hot seat there, is now like the fifth most tenured coach in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think while the hot seat, you know, whatever you want to say about if he is or is not on it, you look at the list of those coaches. It's John Cooper, Mike Sullivan, Jared Bednar are the top three. Uh, those guys all have a very distinct thing in common in that they've won the Stanley Cup. And in two of those cases, multiple Stanley Cups. Uh, so, you know, Keith is probably starting to get on borrowed time here if you look at, you know, who else is at the top of that list. Well, we'll get into that more <laughs> later, but I want to finish before the break. I want to ask Mike, since he covers the Sabres so closely, and AJ, we've talked about the Atlantic Division being a very competitive one, and we thought the Sabres would be one of the teams near the in contention for a playoff spot. They've fallen well short of that, Mike, and uh, maybe mm-hmm. you can tell us why they haven't taken the ne- next step that we all thought they might. Because uh, in spite of the Sabres uh, compiling nearly 300 goals last year, they gave up 300. Um, They're a fundamentally flawed team. And in the summer, um, they did not decide to add a veteran goaltender, which I think was a necessity. Instead, they went with a 21-year-old Devin Levi uh, as the presumptive number one with Uka Pekalukkanen and Eric Comrie. So they, they kept three goalies for most of the first half of the season. Levi was up and down like a 21-year-old rookie. You would expect that from. Lukanen was better, but not – and then he's played fairly well, a lot better than he did last year, but not to the point that he can steal a ton of points. Uh, Comrie is a borderline NHL-AHL goaltender. They didn't make the moves – um, defensively that they needed to. They signed Darlene, they signed Owen Power, but they brought in Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson, which are fine veteran bottom pairing guys, but I think they needed to add a Noah Hannafin or a Brett Pesci or one of these guys who are on the trade market in the summer. So they approached the, they approached 
the summer by bringing back the entire team from last year, adding a couple veterans and expecting the goaltending to be better. And that was, and, and, and expected like them to adopt more of a uh, defensive mindset. Well, they're better defensively slightly this year, but it came at the cost of their powerhouse offense and they're, they were hit by injuries up front. Now they've lost one of their better defensemen and Matias Samuelson for the year. So really, I think it's a, it's, it's a conspiring of injuries, bad construction and bad luck. And now the Sabres are where they are, always are. They're challenging for a top five draft pick and the fan base in Buffalo have, are fed up. Um, it's, you know, 13 years without the playoffs. And, you know, there are people calling for Don Granado's head. I, I don't think that they're going to do that because Don Granado was given an extension and he hasn't even started it yet. So um, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think maybe their coaching staff is going to get fired. I think there'll be some changes. Uh, they'll make some trades at the deadline, dumping some of their UFAs, but they're just a flawed team and they didn't correct any of their flaws. And uh, what Mike just did is to give you a preview of what to expect in the second half of the show. We're going to go through similar situations with other teams around the league, but for now, we're going to take a bit of a break. You're listening to Puckcast with. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. That's Man and AJ. We'll be back right after these messages. All right, we're back on the podcast with Statsman and AJ. And uh, I didn't let you know this, AJ, off the bat, but Mike's a devoted Leafs fan like me. And the next question is going to be about whether the Leafs should be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. AJ, I'm going to get you to come in with your first your opinion first because I know uh, Mike and I have uh, uh, strong opinions here, but I want to hear from you. Yeah, I'll, I'll make my comments. Then I'll go, you know, make a coffee and maybe come back in 20, 40 minutes after you guys uh, finish up here. I mean, look, I, I just I don't see any scenario in which they're sellers, right? Like they're they're in the mix for a playoff spot. Uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that fan base is going to tolerate them being sellers at the deadline. You know, I, with exception, if you can offload Tyler Bertuzzi for so, you know, a couple maybe depth pieces, something like that. I, I think that's a, a fair deal. I don't know if that's called selling or not, but overall, I think the the easy theme here is that they should be, you know, bringing uh, bringing in more pieces to to try and solve uh, some of some of the potential issues. I mean, the the bottom, you know, the bottom six is meh. Uh, you know, you've got Max Dome there, but I mean, he hasn't really done a whole ton. Um, it would certainly, I think, help if they got Kali Yarncroft back. Um, the defense, I don't know that you're adding much to that unless somebody really wowed you. Um, you know, maybe try and go out and get a goalie. Um, but overall, I think it should be additions, not subtractions. Mike, I, I think Bertuzzi is an interesting uh, situation. Well, let's start there. What do you think happens to him? Does he survive the trade deadline or is he a piece that goes out the door and frees up five million bucks to get something else? Well, if he survives the deadline, it's going to be of his own volition because he's got a no-move clause. Right. Um, he was a one-year contract with a no-move clause. And, I mean, based on what he has done in Toronto, he's cost himself millions of dollars as an unrestricted free agent this summer. If he wants to sort of, you know, get past that and put on a sort of well, you know, it just didn't work in Toronto, but I went to Team A and I really played well in the playoffs. Pay me five and a half million dollars on a seven year deal. He could do that. Um, and maybe that will happen, but I'm not sure. I think he signed in Toronto to be with Toronto for a year, you know, and then, you know, but but I think it is possible that it's it's gonna be his decision. I mean, I, if I were Brad for a living, I would explore the market and then bring it to him before the deadline and say, Well, Boston's interested in you, or so and so is interested in you. And if you get yourself and remember, the Leafs do not have a second round pick the next three years. They don't have a first round pick in 2025. They're severely lacking in draft capital, and that's already affected them in terms of 
other deals because they were talking to Calgary about Nikita Zdorov and Chris Tanev, and they didn't have the draft capital to even negotiate a, a price before they traded Zdorov to Vancouver for, I think it was a third round pick. So right. you know, the fact that they don't have draft capital and that they don't want to trade some of their young prospects has affected them this year. They're not a buy. They should not be a buyer. They're not winning the Stanley Cup. In fact, I don't know if they get out of the first. They get past the first round because if they finish in third place, they play Florida. If they finished in the first wild card, they play the winner of the Metro, which is either Carolina or the Rangers. And if they finish in the second wild card, they play the Boston Bruins. Good luck. They're not being at any of the three of them. You know, I mean. You know, I love Austin Matthews, and he's a seven going to potentially score seventy goals. Um, their core group um, is really talented. I would not have signed William Nylander. I would have traded him in the summer, but they decided not to. Um, Mitch Marner. Uh, everybody in Toronto is crying is calling for him to be traded after the season. He's got a no move clause too. He's not waiving it. So good luck with that. They're not buying out John Tavares because there's no cap relief. So they're stuck with that core for a group and they need to improve around the periphery and surround them with better, uh, better bottom six, better defense. And it's tough when you're paying four forwards half of your salary cap. And Mike, let me throw it back to you with this question then. The most tradable piece from on the Toronto Maple Leafs current roster is Nick Robertson. And I wouldn't trade him because Neither would I. Neither yeah, would because I. and this is the thing. What this year should be focused on is finding out what you have in house. Find out what Matthew Nyes is, what Joseph Wall is, what Nick Robertson is. You know, when you gave Nick Robertson ice time He's played well. His problem has been durability this year. That has not been the case. Now, I don't think he's exactly well served by playing on a third line role um, that, you know, his offensive skills are more conducive to being a top six guy. He's just not very good defensively and he's not very big. But I mean, I would like to see him get a, a, a lengthy chance playing with Tavares or playing with Austin Matthews. Then you would know what you really have. But to trade him in a deal with his value at its absolute lowest for a defenseman, unless it's a top four guy, I, I would, I just wouldn't do it. And, you know, one more question about the Leafs and then we'll move on AJ. So you can uh, set your <laughs> alarm clock shortly, but uh, I see on sa- cap friendly Bertuzzi's contract coming off the books. That's 5,500,000. Max Domi coming off. That's $3 million. Mm-hmm. Bobby McMahon, 762 bit piece. Brody, 5 million. That's uh, 15 million uh, Mike Giordano, 800,000. That's about $15 million off the books, as well as the uh, goalie Matt Murray, six, uh, 5 million on the LTIR, and Klingberg, 4 million on the LTIR. That's a lot of money com- coming off the books, guys. And Mike, I think they could do some damage in free agency uh, and by spending that money a little more wisely than they did this past the past couple of seasons. And we forget about Jake Muzzin, but right. but those but that money is LTIR as well. So there's not a lot of cap relief there. I mean, the problem the problem here is is that's counterbalanced by the nearly five million dollar increase of Nealander's contract. So essentially, one of those players uh, that's wiped away by by the incre- the increase of that salary. Now, you know, I do think they because Brody is on their top pairing. I think you know a lot of people criticize him. I think he's been a pretty decent defenseman. Could, if they could get him to come back at a lesser amount, say three, 
three and a half million um, and be a, be a, a middle pairing guy um, to go along with uh, uh, you know Jake McCabe and you know bring back Simone Benoit, um, Lilligren. I mean, they're gonna they're Lilligren needs a new contract. I mean that that's a problem. A lot of their restricted free agents are gonna need new deals. They're gonna have to find a second goaltender. Samsonov is making three point five. They're not gonna re-sign him at that. Um, you know, now whether they sign Martin Jones or they sign and re-sign Murray when he's healthy, or I don't know what they're gonna do in terms of another goaltender besides Wall. But the you know, I think that they the the damage they need to do in free agency, as you said, is you need to sign or trade for two defensemen because right now your defense is below average. And you need, I would say, two top four defensemen to be legitimate in terms of your aims of being a Stanley Cup contender. You know, people say, well, they should trade Mitch Marner. Okay, if he doesn't want to go anywhere, he's not going anywhere. So shut up. It's just, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I mean, what, what, where is the motivation here? Mitch Marner, in, in the summer, they say, well, you know, I want to, you know, my contract is up after next season. Let's talk contract extension. Well, okay, Mitch. Um, we want to pay you less than we're paying you right now. Well, no, I want more than Nealander. Okay, well, um, well, I guess we're going to trade you then. Okay, no, I'm going to walk in free agency after I put up 100 points playing alongside Austin Matthews. Take, put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's where they are right now. And yeah. and and based on what Tor Living did with Nealander, he held his feet to the fire. He was the best, one of the best forwards in the NHL. And then he signed, and look where he's been since then. Gee, he's he's disappearing, Mister Willie again. So, I mean, that, that, that's the issue here. It's like, they will, they will back down when it comes to signing these big ticket items, but it's not big ticket players. It's a team concept to win in the playoffs. And that's why they haven't won except for one round in the last 20 years. I got to take a deep breath after that one. <laughs> I don't know about you, Mike, but uh, AJ, I'm throw throw the next question out to you. Will the Coyotes stay in Arizona? We're hearing a lot of rumors about other cities expressing interest from all over North America, and yet the, there's a, another attempt, another hope that the Coyotes stay put. For the love of God, just get them out of there, please. <laughs> like. <laughs> The fact that they couldn't get this done and they're playing in a collegiate stadium, by all accounts, ASU Stadium, great place to see a college hockey game. Great place to see a college hockey game. This isn't college hockey. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a team functioning in a stadium that has less than 5,000 capacity. It's just insane. I, I don't understand. You know, you look at this this list that came out, I, I think, you know, Utah sounds like a really good option especially when you have the NBA team owner that's trying to move them there. I, I think, you know, that geographically, there's not a lot of concern about, you know, if you move from Arizona to Utah, you can stay in the same division there. Um, you know, Houston's name has always been tossed around, moving a team back to Atlanta. Admittedly surprised to see Cincinnati on there. Um, I guess you have a natural rivalry with Columbus and maybe with Pittsburgh, but uh, that one definitely caught me off guard. But as far as hockey in Arizona, it hasn't worked. It, it really never has. They've either been in these stadium issues, had garbage teams or, you know, whatever. Uh, I think it's no one to fold them. And in this case, it, it's time to hang up the skates in Arizona. Mike, uh, you and I have talked about this off the air 
for a couple of years now. The Boston Bruins continue to confuse me because I, on paper, I don't see their talent equaling a couple other teams in a division, but yet they're on top of the loop there. And I said to you before we got on the air today, I said, I swear to God, Mike, I think this team could operate without a coach on the ice <laughs> and they'd still be the, the cream of the crop here. The players know what to do in all situations, particularly in the defensive zone, which certainly separates them from the Maple Leafs, for example. But is there anything that I'm missing here in terms of why the Bruins continue to be the top team in the Atlantic Division? I mean, there's there's definitely a work ethic and a method, the Bruins method, of playing the game. It's always two-way. It's always you know high-energy, physical uh, not as much physical as the big bad Bruins of the '70s, or even the Bruins of earlier in this century with Chara and and you know the you know the Merlot line and those those players. But you know there is that worth that work ethic. But I do think that the difference here, um, in spite of their early season success and they've maintained it uh, and and are still leading the Atlantic Division, is the talent loss of Bergeron and Krejci. I think is going to be something that could lead to another early playoff exit simply because you've got Pavel Zaka, a a converted winger playing as your number one center and uh, Charlie Coyle was a number three center moving up to number two. I had always thought that they would be in on Lindholm and maybe they were, but they, they weren't able to pay that price. And I'm not sure if there's a center out there that will sort of bridge the gap and help them improve up the middle to the point that they could come out of the East. I mean, Florida, they're going to play Florida in the first two rounds. And then if they get past that, they're going to play, you know, Carolina or the Rangers in the Eastern conference final that, you know, and, and I'm not exactly sold on Linus Allmark, even though he's won a Vesna trophy of him being the, the guy who could uh, carry them to a Stanley cup. Maybe Jeremy Swayman could, but I mean, they're they're a very good regular season team and they have done it in the past in the playoffs but this is a different animal this is not the same this is not your uh your father's boston bruins so i'm i'm skeptical they they could very easily win the atlantic division but i don't know whether they're meant to have a long uh a, a long battle uh in the playoffs for longtime listeners to our show the third voice that you're hearing on the air today is my buddy mike uh, Jello, his Twitter handle is at Mike in Buffalo. A great, great follow, uh, providing a lot of information, and he has got a, wears many hats, as he said off the top of the show. And at the end of the show, we're going to give him a chance to re- remind our listeners about all that. But we're really happy that you're able to join us today, Mike. And we'll continue with the questions here. Uh, Edmonton Oilers are are they peaking too early? AJ, I'll direct this to you first. They're on a almost a record hot streak in terms of consecutive wins but i wonder if this high level of play is sustainable and indicative of who they are for real or are they going to be having to make some moves around the deadline to fix up uh leaks in their in their situation well i i think that's a valid question is it is it too much too soon i mean it's definitely not sustainable they're not going to win out the rest of the way (laughs) having won 16 straight um, so, you know, at some point they're going to lose a game and, and there might be more than one there. Um, I do think they have the forward depth to kind of power them through, um, for my, you know, for my money, I think the question just falls to Stuart Skinner. Like at some point I have to imagine we're going to see early season Stuart Skinner, you know, who gave up 
you know, four or more goals in uh, like five of his, you know, first 12 games or something like that. And, and I, I would imagine we're going to see a little bit of a relapse here in his play at some point. Um, I, I would point out that defensively, I think Edmonton's been doing him a lot of favors. You look at this win streak, there's not a lot of games where he faces uh, 30, even 30 shots in a game. They've been limiting it. Uh, you go back, you know, some of these losses, 33, 35, 36, you know, he, he's facing less shots. And I think that's definitely benefiting him. So I think for me, it hinges on primarily Stuart Skinner. I mean, you've got the scoring depth at forward. Uh, yeah, could they maybe add something on the back end? Sure. Um, but it's good enough right now. And, and like I said, they're limiting shots. Mike, your thoughts on the Oilers situation? Well, I think they lie somewhere in between the pitiful team that started the first um, six weeks, seven weeks of the regular season and the team that is, that just can't, you know, can't lose. I mean, they were losing to Toronto two to nothing in the third period uh, or in the second period and came back and won, um, which, which um, was a little unthought of because they usually the Leafs uh, have, have their number. Um, they're they're to me they're a flawed team too. I don't think it has as much to do with Skinner uh, as it does with their defense. Their defense is not great, and they're you know right now they're outscoring their issues. You know Connor McDavid is one of the best players in the league. So is Drysital. Um, you know they're getting a fifty goal year out of Zach Hyman. Who would have predicted that, Paul? Um, yeah. You know Evander Kane is is playing well, but I'm see I'm waiting for that combustible factor of Evander Kane and Corey Perry and some of the you know especially Evander Kane Corey Perry you know I think is is a pro and whatever happened in Chicago was an unfortunate situation. Evander Kane is a powder keg. I'm waiting for him to explode at the most inopportune time, and he has done that in Winnipeg. He's done that in San Jose. He's done it in Buffalo. He'll do it in Edmonton. It's just a matter of time. But um, they need to improve on defense. I think they could use another forward, but they don't have the cap space and they don't have many of the assets to be able to pull off those moves. So, and I think like we were talking about earlier with, uh, you know, with the teams in the West, they're gauntlet. I mean, if they finish in third place, um, it's playing either Vancouver or Vegas in the first round and then whoever they don't play in the second round and then playing Dallas, Colorado or Winnipeg in the third round. They're not making the Stanley Cup final. I'm sorry. They're not that they're not as good as people think. And I think they could lose in the first round. Well, that's our run through on a few teams around the league. And uh, uh, to whet your appetite on what the topics might be as we approach the trade deadline in coming weeks. But we finish up with our staple that we do every week, Mike. And that is a look at the game schedule on a Tuesday night where we have eight games on tap. AJ and I put together our lineups for draft uh, daily fantasy uh, play to help our listeners win some dough and AJ handles the DraftKings roster I handle the FanDuel roster what we might do today is have you just listen to our picks and mm -hmm. uh, determine which which lineup you like heading into tonight's action so sure. uh, AJ without further ado uh, give us your DraftKings roster and uh, let it rip yeah so for me uh, I'm going to start at the top with uh, you know I've worn my Penguins jersey for a reason today I'm going to start with Sidney Crosby at AK uh, look, I, I get it. They're playing against Connor Hellybuck and, uh, who has been phenomenal this year. So, uh, it's the only penguin I'm putting in my lineup today. Uh, and it's, it's a riskier play. I think if you're playing in a large tournament, it actually could benefit you 
um, by using him because you've got a guy uh, that that should have based on the 8K price tag and the fact that he's matching up with Hellebuck, it, those, uh, the usage could be down there. Uh, I am going a little bit uh, heavy on a Vancouver lean here. Uh, look, Lindholm comes in at 5K on DraftKings. It's a pretty good price tag. He's playing with an elevated team. It is his first game, uh, so there is some risk there as well. But uh, I, I like the play here for, for just 5K. I'll pair him up with Brock Besser. He comes in at uh, 6,900. They're not uh, they're not skating on the same line, but they should see each other on the, on the power play. Uh, so I think a good opportunity to capitalize on on that pairing there as well. I'm going to go to Edmonton for a low cost option here. I, I, I spent up a little bit elsewhere, so I'm going to go with Corey Perry. Um, I think with Edmonton, it's a decent fit. He again not on the top unit, but he is on the second unit for the most part with them. Uh, and I think he's, uh, you know, going to see increased minutes. He's just got one game under his belt with with them, but I think you'll see more minutes, more power play time coming for him, and two shots in that opening game. I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm going to go with Tachuk, uh, 7,300, big price tag for him tonight, um, but it's a good matchup. They're playing at home against, against uh, the Flyers. Uh, he's absolutely rolling right now in terms of production, 10 goals, 13 assists in his last 12 games, nine of those points coming on the power play. I think it makes sense to pay up for him here. Uh, going high, low on defense. So spending high on one, low on the other, and I'm going back to Vancouver, 7K for Quinn Hughes. Again, another player who's just been racking up uh, points this season. I think it makes a lot of sense. He's already got 50 helpers on the year. Uh, he's got 11 points in his last six games, plenty of power play opportunities. Uh, for the flip side, I had to go extra low, 2,800 for Orlov. And in fact, going to the other side of that game, uh, it's a low cost, but you look at his shot totals. I uh, had one bad game against New Jersey, but for the most part, over his last six of his last seven games, he's had at least two shots on goal. Points have been somewhat minimal over that stretch, but at 2,800, a couple shots I think is more than enough to carry you and, and maybe he picks up a helper. Uh, similarly, because I spent up so high, I had to go with a, a low-cost option and a good matchup. I went with Sam Steele, playing for Dallas, 2600 cheap price tag, has the matchup with Buffalo, uh, two assists in his last four games. That uh, Really, I fully admit this is a punt play, uh, taking a flyer on, on Steele just to see if he could pick something up in, in a good matchup. And then between the nets, I decided to pay down. Paul, you know me, I don't do it that often. Um, but I'm going to go with Charlie Lindgren, 7,800. Washington's at home against Montreal, who just traded away their best player, arguably their best player. So um, they're, they're going to have a, a little uh, little harder time, I think, scoring goals here. And so I think it's a good opportunity for Lindgren to get a win and for you to avoid paying prices for a Connor Hellybuck or something like that. So that's how I shook out on DraftKings. Uh, Paul, what say you on FanDuel? Well, I begin with Rupe Hints from Dallas. He's on a heater right now. 11 points in his last eight games played. He plays a Buffalo Sabres team that, that doesn't match up talent-wise, quite frankly, with the Stars. And I think Dallas is ready to challenge for the top of their division. And you'll see a good effort out of them behind their number one line. And I'll pair him with Elias Lindholm. We mentioned earlier he's going to be playing on the wing on the top line for Vancouver in his debut against Carolina. Now, Carolina is usually a pretty good team at home, but I think the Canucks 
are one of the top teams in hockey, and they'll they'll show well in that uh, high octane matchup. And Lindholm should be a good piece of it. Uh, he'll get power play minutes on the top unit as well for only sixty four hundred dollars. I think that's one of the best bargains on the entire board on FanDuel. Mike, uh, the the FanDuel prices incidentally aren't always a match with what we see on DraftKings, so that's one thing. You'll hear these prices maybe for the same player, but they'll be different. So I don't want to confuse you or any of our listeners but that, with that sure. reminder. $1,400 difference between my Lindholm and your Lindholm, Isn't Paul. that Isn't that crazy? <laughs> wow. And then on the wings, I got two players that I think will show well in their respective matchups. Mark Stone for $7,200 for Vegas against Edmonton in, a, in a, what could be a playoff preview in the early rounds. We'd like to see that matchup maybe later in the postseason, but could be the first round uh, the way things are, are looking at the moment. Stone is, of course, first line where he's quiet with uh, no points in the last two games, but he was on a heater before with 10 points in his previous six. And I like for him to be back on the beam in a game that where Vegas looks to send a message and end the Edmonton long winning streak. And uh, I look also at Washington Montreal matchup because I really think the Montreal Canadiens are depleted roster right now. Uh, maybe even at the best of times they are. And they'll be facing uh, TJ Oshie, who costs only $4,800 tonight. He's been playing very well, guys, playing first-line minutes on the wing, eight points in his last eight games played, and really being a pest, getting hits in in as well. And that pads your scoring totals as well in DFS play, as our players know. And that brings his value up even higher. Then on defense, I've got two second-pairing veterans who are in pretty good situations with their matchups this evening. Montour for Florida, $5,200, the price tag there for their uh, power play, one of their power play quarterbacks. In fact, he plays on the first power play despite his second pairing look, and he's got four points in his last eight games played, of course. And uh, uh, Hampus Lindholm is another guy that I'll pair with him, and he comes in at a very low price, fellas, that I had to jump on for the Boston Bruins against Calgary tonight. He costs only $3,800 playing second pairing minutes in regular shift and on the second power play, he's got five points in his last six games played, his best stretch of the season. And I think this could be a lopsided win for the, for the Bruins tonight. And I'm going to go with more Bruins in terms of my two utility guys that I'm going to throw in. I'm going to have their number one and number two centers, who Mike and I joked before the show, they were number three and number four on the roster last year, but they've been carrying the load in the middle of the ice for the Bees with a great deal of success. And they make the grade tonight as follows. Charlie Coyle, $7,000 the price tag playing top-line minutes, 11 points in his last eight games played. Pavel Zaka, $4,900 in that same matchup, playing second-line minutes, five points in his last six. I think the Bruins can really roll on this one, so look for their their team to pad their stats and what could be a points night for them. And I round up my squad with one of the best goalies in hockey, in my opinion, when he's healthy, and he is getting healthy again, and that's Jake Ottinger for Dallas against Buffalo. The win probability is high for Dallas, I see, in this one, and that's a key aspect in my decision making he cost eighty one hundred dollars to make me reach the magical fifty five thousand dollar salary cap for this evening's play now i put it to you mike and with no no uh hesitation i want you to tell me who has the better roster tonight yeah no no wagering based on my analysis here um i mean i i would lean more towards yours paul because i agree with what uh your analysis is regarding dallas and buffalo i mean buffalo remember they that they lost matias samuelson for the year um they did come off a west coast trip where they had won two of two of three games against not strong competition um but dallas when they played buffalo last year uh walloped the sabers 10 to 4 
Uh, it was the Sabres' worst loss of the year. Now, that's a, that's fresh in the minds of the Sabres because this is pretty much the same team. But Dallas is very strong. Ottinger coming off the All-Star game. Hints is um, you know one of the best forwards in the league, in my estimation. I, I think Dallas is positioned to – uh, you know, to have a really good night against a Sabres team that has really been completely inconsistent. And, you know, they give up the first goal or two, the Buffalo fan base turns on them and uh, with, with uh, you know, I think completely understandable. Uh, the one pick I, I really liked from AJ was, uh, was Matthew Kachuk against the Flyers. The Flyers have lost five games in a row. Um, they are in complete free fall right now. They've lost Carter Hart for the rest of the year because of the Hockey Canada situation. So they're now they have Sam Urson and Cal Peterson as their goaltenders. And one of the things that Tortorella has done, and I've been told this by a lot of my Philly uh, reporter friends, he has played his veterans to the point of exhaustion. Guys like Couturier and Atkinson and uh, Konechny, they're playing 20 minutes a night. He's really laid the minutes on the veteran players, and they're gassed. And clearly, by them losing five games in a row going into the All-Star break, I think they're shot. I think they're going to fall out of the playoff race. I don't. I, you know, I didn't think they were that good of a team going in, and now I think reality is set in. So any play, whether it be Montour or Kachuk, when it comes to Florida, I think is a good bet. AJ, it's our final thoughts segment of the show to close out this week's episode. Your thoughts uh, as we go off the air today? Well, I think, uh, you know, hockey's back, like I said off the top. Uh, we're we're in for a ride. It's going to be an exciting four weeks as we move into the, the trade deadline. I think there's a lot of teams on the edge of buying or selling uh, and have are going to have to make a decision uh, in the coming weeks. So we'll, we'll see where that all goes falls. Uh, I do agree with something Mike said much earlier. I think the center market is pretty much dried up. I mean, Adam Henrique, maybe that's about it uh, in terms of viable guys that could move into a number two center spot that, that might be available. So uh, we'll have to watch that. Maybe somebody will surprise us uh, and be sellers that we weren't expecting. But uh, yeah, we've got a fun four weeks ahead of us. And then at that point, we're only a few weeks away from the playoffs, it will seem like. So well, today it was my pleasure to bring in my buddy of about 20 years, Mike. We go back a long way, and we're both Ardent Leaf fans. I hope we get a chance to cheer our squad in the postseason. But like you, I'm not convinced at the moment. But I want to thank you for joining us today. And I remind our listeners that the, Mike's an awesome follow, at Mike in Buffalo. Uh, I got to know Mike from listening to him at the post-game shows for a number of years where he was a regular caller on a couple of programs that I listened to after every Leaf game. And uh, we uh, met up after I wrote my first book, and uh, and we've been pals ever since. And, Mike, I knew you were going to deliver the goods today. You did it in spades. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks, uh, Paul. Thanks, AJ. All right. We thank our listeners, too, for uh, tuning in to Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. As always, we remind you that we're here to assist you with all your things plans relating to your enjoyment of fantasy hockey. So we encourage you to send your comments or questions on Twitter where you can follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow at AJ at AJScholes24. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you in a week.